As part of the University of Warwick's celebration for the bicentenary of Charles Dickens' birth, I am here with Dr Sarah Richardson from the University's History Department to talk about Victorian Britain. Hi Sarah. If we were transported back in time to the Victorian period, what would be the main differences that we'd notice? Well, Luke, I think the first thing I'd say is the Victorian period's a really long time. So it spans from, if you take Victoria's reign, from 1837 to her death in 1902. So it's a period of great transformation in, in the Victorian city. But it's one of sort of transformation and excitement so you'd see a lot of building um you'd see the growth of the railway you'd see maybe times where there's lots of houses being put up you know the sort of so-called slums and then periods where perhaps they're torn down so a city like Birmingham goes to the period of slum clearance in the 1870s for example but also the building of big public buildings like town halls which were almost like palaces you know these are the sort of urban urban palaces so I think it's very easy to think about the negatives in terms of comparing when you when you go back in time you try and think about you you tend to think of a time that's less civilized or less technological than our own but actually in context this was quite an exciting period to live through. And of course one of the most celebrated authors of the period was Charles Dickens. His novels have certainly lasted the test of time with scholars still deeply interested in most of his work if not all Two of his most famous works were Oliver Twist and Bleak House, one about crime in the lower classes and the other about law in the upper classes. Was his work received well across the whole social spectrum? I think Dickens particularly speaks to this emerging urban sort of middle-class audience, so perhaps he's most effective at the sort of new middle-class dwellers in the city. His characterisation is sometimes problematic, so I think both his uh, the lower class characters don't always come across as that realistic. They're they're a bit pastichey and uh, sort of stereotypical. And equally, you know, his treatment he's quite harsh on some of his upper class characters, and perhaps they they also don't come across as true to life. But I think the strength of Dickens is not that he's creating realistic characters, but in his thick description and in the sort of in in the stereotypes almost he's taking those those to explore in terms of reception his work was read extensively across the social spectrum but but clearly this is still a time of quite high levels of illiteracy and also quite high levels of poverty and just to access some of his works would have been difficult but in general, I'd say that, you know, he, he's a very popular author in his period. And perhaps we need to look at the sort of storytelling and the plots and the description rather than the characterisation. And obviously in his books, he, he generally portrayed London and, and cities as dirty, grimy places full of crime and intrigue. Is that a true reflection of Victorian London? It's partly true, <laughs> The cities are pretty, by current standards, we'd, we'd consider them quite heavily polluted. Um, there's a lot of coal driving the machinery in the factories. The consequences of that are the sort of fogs and the smog and the pollution. So that aspect's certainly true. In terms of things like crime, interestingly, historians' sort of analysis of crime in this period has shown that it's reducing. So although there was this big fear that the cities were creating these sort of no-go areas 
and places of, of sort of deprivation and degradation. In fact, actually, they were safer than, than previous um, centuries. So it's not entirely an accurate portrayal. But I think, again, it, the, what the cities do is are, are challenging existing norms, existing perceptions. And for some commentators, they were something to fear. For others, though, they're actually something to embrace and enjoy. And I think at different points in his novels, Dickens captures both of those elements. And probably one of the most famous traits of the Victorian period was child labour. Um, and indeed, Charles Dickens wrote f- about it frequently. If children were still being sent down mines and up chimneys today, there'd be something of a public outcry. Was it out of necessity that families made their children go to work? And as the period went on, was there a change in attitudes to sending children out to do a 16-hour day? Well, again, I think you have to put this in context. By the 19th century, children had always worked, so... um, This was a period where there's a transition from the countryside to the towns, but children had worked harvesting and sowing seeds and spinning and doing a a whole range of tasks in in earlier periods. The transition to the factory is slightly different because the work is taken out out of the home and into factories. And also it's wage labour rather than sort of working to create, you know, things that you can then sell. So I think that 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 focus is different and that makes it easier to control and legislate against. In terms of why people sent their children out to work, yes, children were seen as quite a valuable commodity and in fact in some settings, particularly textile factories, children or adolescents could earn more money than perhaps men, male workers, because they were the right size, they could get under the machinery, they could do the cleaning, they had good sort of deft fingers so they had the sort of motor skills that were necessary so in some ways child labor was sort of highly prized as at a time when everyone's income was important when you when you ask about change yes by the 1840s there are royal commissions there is legislation to stop children working um, down mines although interestingly they still can work in factories and the concessions there are probably that they only have to work half a day um, and then they go, they can be educated for half a day. So the period does change, but I think it's, you know, I think you have to see children as a sort of valuable economic uh, sort of actors and, and contributors to the economy. And that's why there is sort of this reluctance to, to, to stop child labour. And Dickens' novels have often been described as a, a works of social commentary, were his novels taken serious enough for them to have an impact on politicians of the time, or was he just seen as an idealistic maverick? Well, Dickens himself didn't engage very much with politics. He he didn't fit easily with any of the political parties, and so he's not political in that sense. I think his his work is important for individual politicians rather than for party ideologies. And there are particular politicians, people like Benjamin Disraeli, who also wrote social novels commenting on what he saw as uh, the problems with the Industrial Revolution in Britain, whose work resonated very closely with that of Dickens. So I would say that he 
he isn't really seen as a maverick. He's seen as he's seen as a novelist first and foremost, someone who makes strong and important social points, and those points need to be addressed. And so that's where you can see his influence on politicians. A little-known fact about Dickens was his setting up of the Home for Fallen Women. Is this something that, this charity work, is this something that the Victorians were starting to do, or, or is that or is this, again, a, a one-off that, that Dickens set up himself? Well, philanthropy is a real growth area in 19th-century Britain, particularly women getting engaged in philanthropy, and Dickens works with Angela Burdett Coots, who's a who's a millionaireess, and sort of directs her philanthropic work, which previously had been focused on things like building churches, to establishing this, this home for fallen women to rehabilitate them. So charity work in itself is a growing area. I think Dickens' particular take on it and why it's quite in, an interesting project is because he sees charity as not just sort of alleviating symptoms of poverty or direct aid, but he wants a programme of rehabilitation and education. And he also, with Burdett, who sets up things like ragged schools to educate, you know, sort of uh, the children of the streets and so on. So what's interesting is how philanthropy is developing into being almost what we would consider social work, I think, delivering something that the state itself isn't delivering and you know there, there's an, an idea that it has to be constructive and sort of um, help people help themselves as opposed to just being direct aid or charity. And finally as a historian how much do you value Dickens and is his work something which you would encourage your students to read to get a picture of Victorian Britain or is it too sensationalist to be of benefit for someone studying the period? Well, I use Dickens a lot in my teaching. I teach a course on the Victorian city and I find that you can keep going to his novels and finding sort of new layers of interest, new ways of looking at the city, which are very useful. It's a very useful source for historians, I think. I mean, granted, he's writing for a particular audience and his, you know, these, it's a work of fiction, but he often bases his his characters or his uh, descriptions of cities on particular cases and therefore it's that intersection with his novels and other more formal records, social reports, um, census records, those sorts of things that help my students build up a sort of richer picture of um, Victorian Britain.